Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition here on the 440 Sports Network. Hope everybody, again, is staying safe, dry, and warm. He is Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall, and we are brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. I love it when the comments are rolling early before we even get started talking about how much George likes Brian Callahan as a potential candidate. So if you missed Monday's show, we did a pretty deep dive into a bunch of different candidates. Uh, Brian Callahan, uh, of course, at the top of that list, who's been given a second interview opportunity uh, by the Tennessee Titans. They have concluded their sixth first interviews uh, total with Thomas Brown. So we'll dive a little bit deeper into a couple of those candidates again today with Thomas Brown, uh, namely, and Aaron Glenn. I'll ask you how your, your rankings have changed through this evaluation and, and analysis process that you've been going through, stackingtheinbox.com, of course. Make sure you check that out. Um, and uh, we'll take a look at the playoffs, what fans can learn from the playoffs. We'll take a look at what system, Zach, you like the most for Will Levis and his growth and development for the Tennessee Titans moving forward. Uh, I think that there's going to be a fan reaction to whoever the Titans hire, as usual, as expected. That's a but really bold take. I, I know, I know, I know. You went on a limb with that. I know. Listen, I'm, I'm. At, <laughs> people will have opinions about the Tennessee Titans' new head football coach. Shocking. The question Shocking. is, will they have the right one? So that is the question. Well, so we'll, likely not. <laughs> so I don't we'll know if get, you've been around this fan base long enough, but they're normally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we will get involved in sort of having some fun here, predicting what the fans are going to do in reaction and whether or not we think that is the correct reaction or not. As you can tell, Zach already in, in mid-show form, which I appreciate out of you uh, as well. So we'll we'll kind of we'll start with some get-to-know candidates. We'll finish with some playoff stuff. We've got a lot of Levis system, offense, fan reaction stuff in the middle. So all you guys in the comments already uh, absolutely ready to go. Jake with the uh, the coaching search, two words, offensive continuity. There you go. Uh, four, 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 technically. Uh, has the Titans ever put anything out about interviewing Ben Johnson? I must have missed that. I don't believe he's been uh, interviewed yet, but he was requested, I believe. So yeah. there you go. And, and of course, Stoney. It's probably with preparing for the playoffs, you have to, you can't just go crazy with interviews. You have to be kind of judicial with your time and your yes. schedule. Yes. I think he's interviewing with two teams this week, but he's been requested by every team. And uh, Stoney, oh shit, it's Thursday. Yes. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it's th it's Thursday. Uh, and Square Up says, I think I'm convinced Callahan is the guy. How much smoke do you add to a second interview? All great questions that I'm going to ask Zach here momentarily. So first, Football and other efforts stacking the inbox before we get to uh, any of our show. Tell everybody what you guys got over there uh, on the show with Herndon and, of course, on the website. Uh, we talked a lot about head coaching philosophies um, it, it, or hiring philosophies for the head coaches and uh, basically the narratives that are driving some of the uh, opinions among media and fans. And uh, also, we're just we were just kind of sick and tired of everybody saying, rank this job opportunity among the rest of them. It's funny if you go to, I'm going to call them out. If you go to 1025 and see Caroline, Willie, and D. Mace uh, yesterday, they have uh, ranked these job opportunities. Here, I can actually pull it up because I screenshot. Well, like even the athletic, even the athletic, that's like they're one of their big stories today from Mike yeah. Sandoz. Like, here are the eight jobs ranked. And it's like, we, we did, we said this on Monday. Told. We said this on Monday. They, they're all, they're, they're all rare commodities. They're all hey, commodities. Where does the this was yesterday? Where does the Titans head coaching job rank in the NFL? Let us know, Caroline, uh, Willie, and Demes. And then uh, today, where does nice the Titans people. head coaching job rank? Discussing now, Caroline, Willie, and Demes. And I'm just like, 
guys, I mean, like, this is kind of, I think they're almost all wearing the same outfits, too. But, I mean, it's kind of like all, it's a little ridiculous because yesterday, before we recorded, and then on Tuesday, uh, it was just, this was the topic. I mean, it feels like everybody's talking about it. I'm like, this is so long ago. That's like when you do, like, because there's no new head coaching opportunities right now since everybody got fired on Black Monday. So, like, I'm, I'm just not. Apparently, there's some Pelissaro. Yeah, yeah that's, what that's what you keep. You keep ranting about local media. I'll look up Tom Pelissaro. There he is. Finally, <laughs> Mike Vrabel finally gets a head coaching job uh, interview. So he is not. He is not taking a break like people alluded to on uh, in Nashville, and he is going to uh, finally get an interview. It only Mike, took you know two weeks. To get Mike, well, it took Jim Harbaugh a long time too. Uh, Mike Vrabel. Jim Harbaugh getting- was actually playing meaningful games uh, after yep. the season. <laughs> Uh, Mike Vrabel getting an interview is not a Pelissaro bomb, in my opinion. I'm not trying to. I'm yeah. not calling you out, square, square up. You seem like a lovely guy uh, or woman. I don't know. Maybe square up as a as a female uh, or whatever your pronoun is. I don't care. But I I, I think Vrabel getting interviews is uh, that seems pretty normal. Uh, it's called doing your diligence. Well, it was for the longest time he was. I was thinking that he was not going to get an interview because that's. I mean, yeah. What what took them so long to schedule this interview? That's the question. Well, again, the Chargers of all teams have like the established quarterback, but open one of the longest times I think of all but the openings. Harbaugh have, must be yeah. going back to the NFL. Going or back. sorry, the Michigan. Going back to Michigan. Uh, we can we can get to that in a second if you want, because I've got some details that I can I can lay out for you on that. I don't think I I don't think that's happening. But we'll, we can, we can get to that in just a second. And I so, feel like they're wasting everybody's time unless he's not taking the job. This feels like a really a waste of a time interview because you take Harbaugh over Mike Vrabel. <laughs> Oh man, uh, probably, but I don't know. Those are those are those are the two best names a on the list. Thousand percent. Yeah. Who's the better offensive person? I, I'm uh, no, no, obviously, I'm not arguing that. Uh, but I don't want to have an argument and, about Jim and they're Harbaugh the same versus... personality. I mean, like it's, I like, I don't well, they, like Harbaugh either. But I mean, Harbaugh's a better head coach than Mike Vrabel. I think we can all agree on that. No one is. I don't. Again, I haven't seen this QC Hawk. I don't know who's turned who down. I, I know that teams do interviews and then they conduct second interviews sometimes, and then they. Make it make a hire. I don't. We don't know exactly which coach and which team is saying what to who yet. That's that's the one of the only things we don't know about this coaching search. You mentioned the radio. Uh, Buck Rising is going to be on Lamestream Sports this week, so check out that podcast out on Friday morning. And to your point about the radio before is food poisoning. Yeah, to, to your I, I might have helped out with that. No, to your point about uh, like this is what you have to do on radio because these are all lovely folks that work in this market. Uh, like even he acknowledged to me on the show. I was like, how how do you how do you generate three hours of content every day on a bunch of shit that's purely speculative, and, and like not go in the weeds? And he's like, because I don't get to do it the way I want to do it. I don't get to spend time talking about the details, which is why, of course, you go to football and other f words. You come to a football show and you read stack in the inbox because we will spend time on the details and deep in the weeds. And today we're going to focus on Thomas Brown and Aaron Glenn and some of the other candidates. If we have any thoughts on those, again, I want to know how your opinions have changed about the candidates as you've gone through this research process. Are there any combinations that you may like? Fan reaction to this. Levis's system. What system is best for Levis? And then what can we learn from the playoffs? So lots of stuff to get to. Sinker's beverages, though, folks. Sinker's beverages. Uber Eats. Search. Sinker's beverages. The roads around Sinker's beverages are clear right now. So search Sinker's beverages on Uber Eats and have all of your booze needs taken care of. They will deliver it directly, Zach, to your door. They'll drive so you can drink. Two-time liquor store of the year in the city of Nashville, as voted on 
not like uh, not not like these writers associations. No, by you, by you, the people of Nashville, you voted Sinker's Beverages, the best liquor store in Nashville, two straight years. Huge bourbon selection, huge wine selection. They will help you navigate those selections if you are intimidated. If you know exactly what you're doing, you can go in there and talk shop with them. It's great. You can also, of course, go uh, over to the beer fridge. Huge, copious amounts of beer and original new non-alcoholic drinks that somehow have other delicious treats inside of them. <laughs> I don't know how that's legally allowed in the state of Tennessee, but it somehow is. So there you have it. Okay. Um, so King oh Kingston Group, by the way, too. How could I forget our wonderful and amazing friends at the Kingston Group? Buildkg.com, uh, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. Remember the name, the Kingston Group. Okay, quickly the news here. Brian Callahan, first guy for the Titans to get a second interview. They have interviewed. Um, they concluded their interview with Thomas Brown today, Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator who kind of took over there for uh, when Frank Reich was fired. Uh, Dan Quinn was was the another, other interview that's conducted since we've spoken. As you pointed out, there's some time constraints to some of this stuff, which would include Aaron Glenn, who's still playing, Ben Johnson, coordinator at Detroit, still playing, Bobby Slowick, Houston, still playing. Uh, so there's there's some other factors here involved in all of this. Uh, what do you any anything to glean from? Is it as straightforward as oh they obviously like Brian Callahan they're going to talk to him again? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's usually how head coaching so you do usually don't schedule up with one that you that someone that you don't agree with like because when you're coming into a head coaching search, um, the the first question is for the head coaching side is like. Do I get along with ownership? Does ownership get along with me? And then the next thing is, is like, can I work with the quarterback situation? Doesn't mean like you have to like be dedicated to, um, to it for five years or something, but you have to be able to be willing to say, Hey, you like Will Levis. I like Will Levis. I'm willing to give it a shot. So at that point, you're kind of thinking if you make it to the second round, you at least, can agree with those two things that you got along with Amy Adams Strunk, you got along with Rand Carthon, and you're good with the quarterback. So th I think that's what that means right now is that on the surface, everything is hunky dory on Brian Callahan. And he's also easier to schedule with because, you know, he's, his team's not in the playoffs. Don't just because he's first does not mean he's number one on the list, but right. he is at least the first guy that they have out of the people they have interviewed already to get the second interview. So um, you're talking about like Mike Kafka has not been announced, right? It, so I think you could pretty much safe to say Mike Kafka is probably not getting a second interview. And I think that says more about Mike Kafka than it does yeah. about Brian Callahan. Yeah. I, I, that's what I was going to say is I think it says more about the guys who haven't been given the second chance yet than it does the guy that they obviously like. Uh, and I agree. My, Mike Kafka would be the first name on that list. Interesting question. First of all, uh, it says King, QC Hawk says Kingsbury interviewed for the Bears OC. Does that solidify Williams as number one? No, they could just be doing their diligence on that. There, there's no question about that. Kingsbury and Williams, I don't, uh, you know, that, that sure they he runs the Lincoln Riley system, but Kingsbury is not uh, all that great. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. I think this is an interesting question from Ed Henry, though. I assume it's a death nail if the candidate says they are not. 100% all in on Levis and presents an alternative plan. What are your thoughts on that? Let's say Brian I Callahan agree. has that conversation and says, you know, I think Levis is good for now. I, I'm not, I, you know, he doesn't necessarily do all the things. I, I don't even know how you would present that necessarily, but what do you, well, I think there, I think that's, I think that's true for this round of, I think it's true for 
this cycle. Like if this was maybe like Will Levis year four or Will Levis year three, and we've seen more about Will Levis, I would I would maybe say, no, it's probably not a death knell. But I do think in the end, it's likely a death knell. Depending on what you think happened to the draft room, because again, Charles Robinson went on 1025 this morning and said that Rand Carthon and Amy Adams Trunk, they were the main drivers behind Will Levis. That is the second time he has said something along those lines. He has said it now again. And we saw in uh, Amy Adams Trunk's uh, many, I guess, the Baghdad video, terrorist hostage video, and then uh, the... <laughs> the the statement that she is 100% behind Will Levis that thinks Will Levis is the yeah. truth. So if she thinks that, the owner thinks that, and this is allegedly a Rand Carthon, Amy Adams-Strunk, tie-breaking draft pick, then you have to assume that it is a death nail. If someone comes in and says, no, you guys are going to have to trade up for Jaden Daniels if you want me, or you're, you're, I can't work with Will Levis. Here's right. why he stinks. I don't think that's going to work. I think if this was a different situation, a different timing of the hiring process, then it wouldn't be a death knell. But I think right now, I think I agree. I'm not arguing whether that's right or wrong. I'm just saying, I think it is. I I agree. And you could just see Rand's face when they drafted Will Levis, how, how happy he was about that pick. Um, And I've heard, I've heard similar things as well, that, that, that there are certain picks that sort of lean Vrabel and certain picks that lean the other direction. It's collaborative, ironically, which uh, which is, is, ironically guess what that's how all drafts work and i keep trying to harp on that sometimes the gm wins some sometimes the head coach wins some uh george says do you think quarterbacks are ever included in coaching interviews i i know but could you see sometimes but you get you some people give lists too like quarterbacks give lists i think deshaun watson gave a list at one point of head coaches to interview and they said no fuck you we're not interviewing those guys so you know just i could also see like callahan let's say Let's say I'm going to use Callahan as a hypothetical here. Let's say hypothetically he gets to an in-person interview and they're all just kind of at the facility. It's like, oh, why don't you pop in that dryer? Why don't you pop they, in they that They will room? do that. That 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 yeah. will happen. That happens all the yeah. time. Yeah. Jump in there, drop some dry. Let you and Levis go in there and play with the dry race board for a little while. Just see, see what you think. Yeah. And I think but, that absolutely. I don't th- they absolutely. don't sit like in the interviews in a suit and tie asking questions. <laughs> right. They don't do that. Well, well, Levis is like, what do you put in your coffee, Ben? Ben Johnson. Um, so, but hold on to that thought for a second, though, Zach and Ed and everybody listening, because I want to get back to which of these coordinators and what parts of these coordinators' games best fit Will Levis's system or what we think Will Levis should be taught to do. I just want to kind of get into how that that dynamic works uh, a little bit later on in, in, in the show. All right, so let's go to Aaron Glenn and Thomas Brown. Uh, Aaron Glenn, of course, 51 years old, defensive coordinator. You wrote a bunch about Aaron Glenn. Uh, it was fun. I mean, inbox. it was it was it was such an interesting deep dive. Like that's the kind of stuff that you can really sink your teeth into as a fan and really just kind of educate yourself on someone that you really didn't know much about. And I really didn't know anything about Aaron Glenn or then I used to pick draft him on Madden. Like I talk about him and Antonio Pierce. It's just so funny to me. Him and Antonio I Pierce. Know. Like I would go all offense, right? You go all offense and all this stuff, and then you could pick up Aaron Glenn and Antonio Pierce and build a pretty damn good defense. It means we're old as fuck is what it means. It means we're old as fuck. It really does. (laughs) Um, But like that's, you know, and one of my best friends was a cow in college was a Cowboys fan. And Aaron Glenn was wrapping up his uh, career there. And 
you know, I, I remember that. But and really, you just don't really know much about other defensive coordinators for the most part, unless they really are creative or like captivating people. Because even I didn't really know much about Mike McDonald. So at the beginning of this outset of this whole thing, I was like, no defensive coordinator head coaches or defensive minded head coaches. They all stink. Get away from it. They're all just Mike Vrabel. And that was a silly instant reaction. That was a, um, a, a reaction from emotions and not logic. And then you, and listen, I'm, I'm at still out on Dan Quinn. Uh, I've, I know Dan Quinn. I don't have to do a lot of research, so I'm still out on Dan Quinn. Agreed. But, and I'm, I'm really out on Antonio Pierce. I, I don't think Antonio Pierce is a terrible head coaching candidate or anything, or going to be a terrible head coach. I'm just not into Antonio Pierce. But neither of these guys, Mike McDonald, Aaron Glenn are like Mike Vrabel. And what I mean by that is that Aaron Glenn is flexible, adaptable, approachable, everything that really Mike Vrabel is not. And I think that I think what's unique about Aaron Glenn is that he has many a mentor to lean on and he's addicted to football. I think Mike Vrabel loves football. I mean, you have to be a guy that loves football to get to a certain point. But I do think, and I think that uh, Bill Parcells said it best, that there's a difference between, and if I could find it real quick. And, and Bill Parcells, for those that don't know, Bill Parcells is a huge mentor and the reason that Aaron, Aaron Glenn yeah. kind of is where he is. The thing I would say is Aaron really likes football, and I really like football, Parcells says. You'd be surprised. Not every coach likes it as much as guys like Aaron and myself. And what Aaron does, every summer he goes down to Florida. He stays with Bill Parcells. He has stacks and stacks of notebooks. And they spend three or four days talking football and only football. Like, to me, it's it, he's just so much more different in how he's able to stretch. He likes stretch the players. So like Malcolm Jenkins came into New Orleans and he wasn't asked to do a bunch of different things. And he's always been pigeonholed as one thing. That's what he's comfortable with. And Aaron Glenn is like, no, we're going to stretch your, you've been here for 11, you've been in the league for 11 years, but we are going to give you more information. We're going to give you more responsibility. We're going to stretch you and push you to your limits. And that's what he does. And look, I I get he's a defensive head coach, but I would put him more closer to his mentor, Pete Carroll, and closer to Sean McDermott and no style of defensive head coaches that are wanting to be more, they're more offensively open-minded than I would to Mike Vrabel. And what, at least the Mike Vrabel that we have seen here does not mean that Mike Vrabel can't evolve and advance as a coach. But the Mike Vrabel we've seen here is more like Bill Belichick. Aaron Glenn is not like either of those guys. Uh, a lot of great stuff in that article. Jason says it was great write-up on Aaron Glenn. This whole series has been a great resource on the coaches. So flowers. Stacking inbox. They, flowers, as they say, to stackingtheinbox.com. Um, no, I, I think Glenn is – I agree that he – and this is why I said on Monday I think Antonio Pierce is a – fine quality head football coaching candidate, but is just the same version of he's, I think he's the same thing as Mike Vrabel. Yeah. I would put him and, closer to Antonio. P I'd put, I'd put Antonio Pierce closer to Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Maybe not Bill Belichick, but like, I feel like they are that kind. I think there's a difference in 
there's layers to being, there's more than just being a defensive head coach. And I think that people who say, see it as, and there's, it's not just fans, media people do this too. People just see it as defensive head coach. Well, he's just like Vrabel. He must be a leader of men. Listen, every coach is almost a leader of men, except for like Adam Gase and maybe Bobby Slowick. But like most of these guys are leader of men. You have to be a leader of men to get into a position sure. of power more often than not. So like I, I don't like the leader of men description or descriptor because I feel like it's just – I think that's a lazy way to describe people sometimes. I think there's lazy ways that everybody yep. kind of – Drop it, it, someone in a bucket, and instead of like you know, kind of adding nuance and context, you, which is you all guys, I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to talk anybody into make yeah, Aaron Glenn right. your number one candidate, make Thomas Brown your number one candidate. I'm trying to provide you the information that no one else is out there giving you, yeah, and to make you smarter and give you more nuance and context to make your own more yes. informed decision. Yeah. And that's sort of what we want to do on the show. Like, I mean, that's the idea behind this kind of content. Now I, I would say if you read Zach's piece on Aaron Glenn and then you, and if you've watched the Detroit lions hard knocks, it is hard not to find Aaron Glenn as a very likable character in this entire story. So I, I, I think you did a great it, it's job. It's really hard. That. Like that's the thing. Not I to like myself, yeah. yeah I, fa- I found myself at a point where it's kind of like Mike McDonald. I was like, man, Aaron Glenn's gonna be really fucking boring to write about. There's, some, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be, tr- it's gonna be a slog. <laughs> so like, I felt like it's gonna be a slog. And then I read all this about Bill Parcells and like the very first article I come across. Read about all this. I read about stuff that he's done with Marshawn Lattimore. And I go over here and see how he's interacted with Sean Payton, his history with uh, Pete Carroll. And I go back and I'm like, this dude is just like he's just he he sold. You know, he had like six or seven fried chicken restaurant chains that he ended up selling after he had them all. He bought them while he was working. Like a guy like, you know, kind of like a and Griffin got those cupcake places. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bought these chicken places across Texas. And he was just sitting there and he's trying to be a dad, a stay at home dad. And then she, his wife comes home and he's watching all this game film and breaking it down, even though he doesn't have a football team to play for. And she's like, get off your fucking ass and go be a coach. And then, it and Bill Parcells is like, no, just, no, you're not ready for a coach. Bill yeah. Parcells is like, you're not ready to be a coach. I'll let you know when you're ready. You're going to start off being a scout because if you want to be a head coach one day, if that's your ultimate go. You have to learn the other side. Yeah. You got to do it the right no, way. No one else right now in this group of candidates has the history, the diverse history like that, except for maybe Slowick, if you want to count working at PFF. Okay. All right. Put like, your pants. That's just kind of where it's at. Put your pants back on for just a second. Okay. Just, just Sorry, can't leave, your, leave your pants on for a second. Uh, no, but he he's, is a very he's like. He's in my top five. He's not number one. I uh, when everybody know I'm still Brian Callahan, number one. That has okay, not changed right, throughout right. this whole process. All right. So I think you and Mike were talking about this on football and other efforts. Uh, uh, Sinker's Beverages, Kingsley Group, by the way. Um, and you guys were talking about this, and you just kind of alluded to it. So I want to mention this about the de- the the sort of there's a simplistic way to look at defensive minded coaches because we just sort of swing a pendulum back the other direction. Like, well, if we have an offensive minded coach one time, then we're going to go defense the next time. If we're going to have a players, players, uh, players coach one time, we're going to go disciplinary and hard ass the next time. And not everybody fits into those two buckets nicely and cleanly and neatly. And my argument for not having a defensive minded coach, like my argument for Pierce and Quinn is that they are just, an older and younger version of Mike Vrabel. So that's the same thing stylistically, in my opinion. What I like, and you sort of convinced me of this with Mike McDonald, and to some degree now with Aaron Glenn, is that they just see the game differently. They're more analytical. They're more evolved. They're more adaptable. They're more X, Y, and Z, That the part of the vision 
that Amy and Rand like. It doesn't change. And Coach when Ray I say Avery's and Eric Gare is going to make this team with Aaron Glenn on it. Let and, me just say that. <laughs> and I think it is short-sighted for fans to just say, oh, he's a defensive mind. We can't go back to the defensive-minded head coaching. Well, I, I think there's some truth to you do, like the offensive-minded churn. I think there's some truth to having the offensive coordinator be the play caller, be your head coach that controls the offense. That's his baby. He is the guru of the offense, and that's what Will Levis needs. I think there's some logic there. But my reasoning behind, like, hey, I don't love going back to a defensive coach in general, is that the statistic is based, to me, is based on statistical probability of hiring someone that's going to get you to the one seed in the AFC championship game over the next five or six years with meaning AKA better than Mike Vrabel. And I, I just statistically, what is the probability that Antonio Pierce or Dan Quinn are better than, than Mike Vrabel? It's pretty low. What's the statistical probability that McDonald or Glenn are better than Mike Vrabel? Maybe a little higher, but still, a, still it's not that they aren't going to be better. I don't know, but I, I base almost all this stuff on like, trying to be like what's the probability when you fire a gm or a coach yeah. or anybody who you have to go get somebody better to look, make that look, decision look at, the right do thing. you consider john harbaugh because this is this is how i view it i i i put out look like funny adjectives to these pro comps earlier but the the, the, the main part is the coach that i comp them to do you think what's this do you think harbaugh and mcdermott are better than mike Vrabel? Jo john harbaugh mm-hmm uh, John Harbaugh for Raven sure. Coach, yeah, J John Harbaugh for sure. Uh, McDermott probably got more championship games and stuff like that than Vrabel has. Probably, so. but I would argue his roster is significantly better. Now, he's done a better job hiring coaches, maybe. So I'd have to. That matters. That's part I, of being a head coach, and that's I think, where I fall. That's okay. what. Well, the reason I ask you this is because if you got if you think that those guys are better at. The ins and outs of being a head coach, which is the hiring of a staff, not just on field results. The you're on real because someone's like, well, you know, you know, uh, well, Sean McDermott. I mean, he's he's hired uh, some really good offensive coordinators. He's being carried by Josh Allen and his offensive coordinators. Okay, well, he's the one who helped draft Josh Allen. He's the one that hired the coordinators. Sure, sure. my argument, <laughs> my my argument is, what's the statistical probability that the Titans hired John Harbaugh, a guy that has that career? It's almost zero. It's it's almost zero. Okay, it's well, almost see, zero I think Mike can. McDonald is going to be pretty damn close to being what John Harbaugh is, but John Harbaugh's ab shoulders above Mike Vrabel, head and shoulders. No question. Above. No, no question. So, so I mean, if you think that if 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 for me, if I think that Mike McDonald has a really good shot at being seventy five percent of John Harbaugh, that means I'm pretty damn near one hundred percent convinced that he's going to be better than Mike Vrabel. Because Mike Vrabel, no, no, says is. Yes, seventy five percent of John, John Harbaugh would be better than Mike Vrabel, but the, but yeah. what is that? that like, that's kind of where I'm kind of at. That's a Super Bowl and like ten elite seasons because that's still seventy five percent of John Harbaugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, John Harbaugh's yeah. career is extraordinary. So again, yeah. what are the odds that they hire a guy who wins a Super Bowl and has ten winning seasons and goes to the playoffs almost every I, I will, single year? I will say this: whoever uh, they hire, they're everybody's going to have to have patient with, patience with whether that's yeah. an offensive guy or a defensive guy. It's just so right. you're going to have to. All right, let's go to Thomas Brown here, of course. This is a guy, what I like about Thomas Brown, I'll give you a quick little blurb, and then you can take it and run with this. What I liked about what I like about Thomas Brown, coming from a college perspective, is the rapid rise within the program's ranks. Now, I know he went from Tennessee Chattanooga to Marshall to Wisconsin to Georgia, but he played at Georgia, and Mark Richt hired him. But to then get approval by Sean McVay onto the Rams staff within years of all this happening – 
his his ascent is ha- these these ascents happen for a reason. And I think Thomas yeah. Brown, what I like about him, and first of all, he was a hell of a running back, just hard nosed, tough nosed guy that played ball the right way, quote unquote. And his rise is something that I that I think you know college is my area of expertise, and so seeing the jobs that he took. And to go from Tennessee Chattanooga to the University of Georgia in like four years, even if it is the coach that you played for, is a pretty extraordinary rise. Uh, getting more responsibility every time you got, but then to me, what 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 validates that rise is getting tapped on the head by Sean McVay. <laughs> like that's where he's like, "Yep, you're good enough getting to come coach for me." Begged to coach by Sean McVay, who played against him in high school, by the way. So like, you talk, we talked about on Monday. We don't know all of the connections that certain coaches may have. Like you didn't know that Zach Taylor and um, what's his uh, Zach Taylor and uh, Brian Callahan partied in spring break and met spring break and did all this stuff in 2005. A lot of people don't know that Sean McVay and Thomas Brown played against each other and they've stayed in touch ever since. And Sean McVay begged him to join the Rams staff. Um, So here's kind of, and I want you to write this down so we can talk about later, but I want to talk about Ben Johnson's interview schedule at some point. So okay. put that note, jot that away. Cause I want to talk about Thomas Brown. Uh, if you're, if your first instinct is to say that, well, he was a shitty offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. You're doing it wrong. That, I, that will always be, uh, you wouldn't have never gotten Mike Vrabel in the first place. If that was the only thing that mattered in the, in the world of the NFL, you would never got Mike Vrabel in the first place because he had one of the worst defenses as a defensive coordinator is one year. Context, everything. Uh, Joe Rexroad on Wednesday's show did a really good job of, uh, sorry, a lot of 1025 uh, shout outs on this show. And I already mentioned Buck, Buck too. It's the only we, radio show, radio channel I listen to on a regular basis. No, so. I know. And I mentioned Buck, which means we're like four names away from mentioning every host in the, in the yeah, network, uh, in the market at this point. But, um, he did a really good job laying out on the Wednesday morning show everything that went wrong in Carolina. And there is a, there is a piece on the athletic by Diana and someone else where they laid it all out, right? Like everything is laid out about it's terrible. Here's the thing. The only thing you can really blame Thomas Brown for last year with his time at the Carolina Panthers is the fact that he accidentally took a job with the Carolina Panthers. (laughs) Like he should have never taken the job with the Carolina Panthers, but and and maybe this is, just the state of the NFL as a whole. You're talking about a minority coach who has to take an opportunity, no matter if it's bad or good. But this is a this is a staff largely assembled by a meddlesome owner trying to get the best minds in the NFL in one room, and it did not work. But for him to be considered one of the best minds in the NFL to try to force onto a staff of an offense offense of scheme that is not an offensive scheme that he's familiar with to try to blend it with a head coach who guess what? He has an ego and he's the one calling the plays. If you don't think that he's the playbook is 90% Frank Reich with a little bit of input from Thomas Brown, you'd be crazy because nobody's going to call plays that they're not familiar with, especially a head coach. So I look at it and go, you can't, base it off one year for a coordinator or whatever. Look at Andy Reid. He had one of the worst uh, first years you can have as an offensive genius, and they stuck with him at the Eagles. I personally do not think that Thomas Brown is necessarily ready for a head coaching opportunity. I agree with that. I think 
that he is really, I think he needs to find a place in the background and then be offensive coordinator underneath Sean McVay or someone. So, uh, he needs to be an offensive coordinator, non-play calling offensive coordinator. I think that's the best path for him to get back to being a head coach. Because I think in the future, you're talking, if he were to be hired right now, he is not an offensive play calling head coach. He is a CEO, John Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel, yep. offensive head coach. Like he is that guy. He is a motivator. He is driven. Dan Campbell. He, he yeah, Dan Campbell is a perfect example. He is more Dan Campbell than he is anything else. Okay. But what you need to know is that he's just well-respected by Sean McVay. And if you're all about the Sean McVay coaching tree, he just he went to a bad situation. So in my, in my mind, while he's not ready, maybe he become he's like a running backs coach for somebody on for yep. one of these head coaches. Because I mean, there are, there's obviously ties to Brian Callahan. Maybe he goes and be is a non-play calling offensive co coordinator for. Brian Callahan, who's going to maybe call plays. Okay, so I think we kind of agree on what we like about Brown, what fans should maybe not put too much stock in with Brown, and yeah. that he's probably not at the, in the top tier. My second inbox uh, article is on Monday, Thomas okay. Brown. So let me ask you this. You've done a lot of research on most of these guys. You've done a ton of research on a bunch of them. So when you started this process, you've already said Brian Callahan's kind of still your number one. I, I think Brian Callahan was number, my number one. Number one always will be my number one. So outside of Brian Callahan being number one, what are the what are the names that have moved the most in after from the start of this evaluation process to where you are now? Through let's call eighty percent of it, most of it. You're you're not going to need need to do a deep dive on Dan Quinn, for example. But yeah, now that you've spent this time and you've written thousands of words that people should go subscribe to at stackintheinbox.com, what has changed? Where have the names moved? Uh, I would say my top five is probably like Aaron Glenn and Mike McDonald have probably moved the most. Uh, they are currently three and four in my top five. And then I would say that Bobby Slook has really dropped in my rankings because I think there's a big difference between the first four and then five. And then there's a big difference between five and the rest of the field. And I think like Bobby Slokes kind of like in this middle ground where I just, I can't, I can't get it off his personality. And I'm not talking about like, you have to be an energetic kind of person or anything like that. But when you are responsible for standing in front of a group of 53 young men in the middle of a losing streak, it doesn't matter if you're Mike Vrabel or not, but Mike Vrabel is going to probably keep the ship be corrected better than Bobby Slook. I cannot see Bobby Slook in a losing streak trying to motivate anybody to keep on playing. His personality like, his just, personality reminded me of Mike McCarthy on Hard Knocks, which is so so drab and but but I, I think he's I a really think, good offensive mind. So I think you're getting Adam Gase head coach. I'm getting Adam Gase head coach vibes from Bobby Slook. Okay. And maybe that's unfair, but Adam Gase at the time that he was an offensive coordinator and all this stuff. What before he got his first head coaching gig was revered as the next great wonderkin offensive coordinating genius. And we saw how that all worked yeah. out when you don't have a personality and you don't have leadership qualities. And that's just kind of the vibe I'm getting. I just don't think to me, I don't think Bob, I think Bobby Slokes not taking interviews right now this week when he could. 
because I don't think he can handle doing interviews and doing preparation. That's a big, that's a big assumption, but I hear you. Uh, I agree, though, with your general sentiment on... I think Slowick has dropped a few slots. I think Mike McDonald has moved up the most for me. I think Aaron Glenn has moved up a little bit for me. Um, and, and George asked something. I rank him in specific... 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 specificity. Stack in the uh, inbox. Whatever that me. word is. I can't even say it. But I rank it for... As, not, I rank it for the Titans, not for in general. Yeah. But I mean, um, in, in general, I would say that I think that the only person that'd be moving around that rankings from where they are is probably Antonio Pierce. Um, he's but I, I rank it for the Titans. No, I'd put Antonio Pierce up higher if I was a, just a oh, random. For, gotcha, NFL gotcha. Team. Okay. I follow you. Now. Um, how about this? And we'll move on here again. Sinkers beverages, Kingston group, make sure you support good local business because they keep this show up and running for you guys for free. Uh, and so make sure you check out sinkers beverages, bluegrass beverages as well. Sponsor of football and other F words. Um, make sure you check out that one. If you're in Hendersonville, you can Uber eats and have the booze delivered directly to your door. They drive so you can drink Kingston group, build KG.com. Of course, uh, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm uh quickly likely any likely combinations that you think would work out of any of these names it doesn't seem like if you hire one of the offensive guys that any of the defensive guys would come with would, would be willing to do this but it does seem like if you went with Aaron Glenn or Mike McDonald that maybe you might be able to lure one of these offensive guys to come with them in some sort of combo package the way LaFleur came with Vrabel it's it, I would say that's work. the case, but I don't know if that's the way that you need to do it. Uh, but I think, but there's also connections between all these guys anyway, that, you know, it could just happen just because that's who they wanted on their staff. Um, but like, I, I think like you look at guys like Shane Waldron uh, that uh, is up in Seattle right now, which with his situation up in the air, they don't know who the next head coach is going to be could be Shane Waldron. Uh, maybe he's not kept on the next staff. Aaron Glenn and Shane Waldron have worked together before. So there would be an offensive coordinator that you, maybe they didn't interview, but I, I, I look at like, <clears throat> like for me, I think Thomas Brown, if he wanted to be, if he wanted to learn to be an offensive coordinator on a competent staff, he would come with one of the offensive coordinating or offensive head coaches. But Thomas okay. Brown could also come to Mike with Mike McDonald because they overlap at Georgia. So it could, it, maybe he becomes, he trusts him enough to become a play caller. I don't know if that's what I would do, but maybe he's a better play caller calling an offense that he's familiar with, like the Sean McVay offense and some other amalgamation that doesn't even make sense over with the, and also let's just be honest. I think we maybe all overrated the talent of Bryce Young. Uh, maybe it is just surroundings. Maybe it's coaching, but the offense that they try to employ where it's a lot of shotgun, a lot of three wide receiver sets, that's for the benefit of Bryce Young. He's not a guy that could turn around with that offensive line, have his back in a pro style offense, but that's what Reich's known for. Reich's known for designing offenses around and every good offense. Part, part of the reason, uh, part of the reason I ask is that, you know, Dan Quinn been a head coach for a long time. Antonio Pierce seems ready to be a head coach. A Aaron Glenn, 51 years old, ready to be a head head coach. I don't see those guys taking lateral moves or even getting permission to take a lateral. Yeah, move. I'm, with I'm, I'm with you on that. And these, some of these, a couple of these coordinators, Brian Callahan and I would say Ben Johnson probably, also feel like they're in a position where they're not leaving unless it's a head coaching opportunity. But there are some of these coordinators that I've written down like not ready question mark. 
right? Bobby Slowick, not ready, question mark. Mike Kafka, not ready, question he'll mark. Stay. Brian Johnson, not ready, question mark. Thomas Brown, not ready, question mark. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But some of those guys could benefit from being given a, 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 a new quarterback, a new start, and more control over the entire offensive staff and might be willing to come with a McDonald or a Glenn, and then you're sort of getting. They, they may be willing, but I, like I told you off air, they may be willing, but this is not the time to experiment with some of these without. It's well, but, not the time to pair a defensive coordinating, a defensive head coach with a rookie play calling offensive coordinator. Okay, so let me ask you this then. So the Titans feel strong enough about Thomas Brown. I'm going to use him as an example because you and I both kind of agree, maybe not ready. Bobby Slowick, maybe not ready. Slowick has more chops on offense calling plays. So we That's think a big risk to have him call, come in and call the plays under one of the defensive coordinating head coaches. You're huge saying Thomas, Thomas Brown is? just Yes, I think it's well, a huge risk. Well, okay, well, let I don't me, think, I'm, I want to follow up on that for a second. Yeah. But just if they think he's good enough to be the head coach, Bobby Slowick... Do think he's good enough to be a head coach? <laughs> Maybe they don't. But let's say let's Bobby Slowick, great chops on on calling plays. They think he's good. You can't enough come to, over unless you're going to give him an extra title. So again, I, I'm just saying, is but there a let's two? Let's not deal two with hypotheticals. One? Why are we trying to deal with hypotheticals when we have actual answers? I guess I'm I'm very confused by. Well, this but your hypotheticals. hypotheticals I've, given you, I've given you. The, I've answered this question numerous times, and you keep asking me the question, so I don't understand. Because I think why, that's what, the best what am I way... missing? Because to me, the best way to hire one of these two defensive minds, and we both agree who they would be, which yeah. is Glenn or McDonald. Let them is, pick their own staff. Of, of course. I mean, uh, yes, I'm assuming that they have sign off on this. I'm not saying force them together. That's terrible, terrible uh, opportunity. What I'm saying yeah, I is, don't, is. I don't think I think you leave Mike Kafka in New York. It's not the time to bring him I even over as I an agree. offensive coordinator. OK, so that leaves Bobby Sloak, who can't come over unless you're going to give him a head coaching job or assistant head coaching job or title. Uh, which is fine if he wants to do that. Bring him on over. I'm all for it. Yeah, for sure. Not that's, uh, Brian that's Callahan, unless he wants to play Colin duties, then maybe you can get him over here. But I think he's just he's the longest tenured uh, Bengals, uh, or he's the longest tenured offensive coordinator in the NFL currently. He'll probably stay there. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Browns, I don't think I would be ready to give him the reins. This is not the year to be experimenting with a totally okay. new okay. offensive coordinator. I mean, like, so none of these guys. I don't. The defensive coordinators are likely shouldn't, if I was Tennessee Titans, hire one of these new guys. Get someone that's established in here. That's my point. Okay. All right. That's that's fair. And I, and again, I think unlikely is absolutely the right answer here. It's unlikely. Yeah. But if I'm a Titans fan, it's like, man, if I could get Aaron Glenn and Bobby Sloak and they like each other and agree on what they want to do, that sounds like a pretty damn good combination. So Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, but of- they, that that is so, like, to me, that's like discussing Ben Johnson coming here and being the head He's coach. He's not coming. Yeah, it ain't yeah. happening. I don't happening. see. I don't see so, him and like Callahan. Bobby Sloat coming over here with Aaron Glenn or someone. It's not happening. I just, I entertaining that just seems frivolous. So it was a quick question, a quick answer, and we can move on. Uh, so that ties us into Will Levis, which is ultimately the most important part of the decision. Which is why I want the bait, the, the the head coach to be the baby to hold to have the offense, and for the head coach to have the offense as his baby, and that's his. I'm going to call the plays. I'm going to run the offense. I'm going to design the offense. I'm going to hire the staff to work around and build around and focus on number one and only number one, Will Levis. And so ultimately, some of these guys have a lot of similarities. Some of these guys have a little bit of difference. What is the, What are the things that you like from each of these different options that you think is best for Will Levis, if that question makes sense? Whether it's RPOs, whether it's we know he wants to take shots down the field, a la Tim Kelly. We know that's what Will Levis can do well. 
He's not going to be able to do what, like, I'm not going to call it air raid, but like the, the, the CJ Stroud slowick offense of last year, that's a based on quick, short accuracy. I, I don't, I, I don't know. So you tell me Ben Johnson, Brian Johnson, Thomas Brown, Kafka, Callahan, slowick whatever. What are the, what are the pieces that will best maximize Will Levis? Everybody but Kafka. I mean, let's be honest. They all have, they all share such similar offensive. Uh, the the first four you name: Brian Callen, Ben Johnson, uh, Bobby Slowick, and Thomas Brown. Uh, they all share the same offensive philosophies that he's used to. Whether it's the Liam Cohen, Rich Scangarello, McVeigh offense, or whether it's the Earnhardt Perkins offense that he learned last year with uh, Ben Johnson and. Um, yeah, I guess just Ben Johnson. Brian Callahan knows both, uh, but Ben Johnson is a Earnhardt Perkins guy. Um, it, it's like to me, it's like what is best for Will Levis is goes beyond this year. It's do did you pick? To me, it's like you need to. They have you have to the high. What's best for Will Levis is finding the guy that will mold the offense around Will Levis, like Bobby Sloak did for C.J. Stroud. So let's say you hire Thomas Brown for whatever reason they decided we just love Thomas Brown and Thomas Brown is our head coach and he's going to call plays and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So let's say they hire, he's got to make sure the McVay offense. Do you think that, let me ask you this. Do you think Will Levis is more like the golf offense under McVay? Mm -hmm. Stafford offense under McVay. So that's what you got to decide because those are two <sighs> entirely different offenses and how they're deployed on the field because it's the same system but built around two different quarterbacks, right? So that's what you have to decide if you're Thomas Brown. So when you're when you're Thomas Brown, Brian Callahan, Bobby Slowick, or Ben Johnson, when you come here, are you making him fit a system or are you tailoring your system? That's what's best for Levis. It's someone that will tailor the system to Will Levis. Yeah, yes, a million percent. I'm more curious to your point specifically on that example. And it's hard to even sometimes like I, I think it's Stafford, for example, to, to answer your question in a short form. I, I think Will Levis, because of arm strength and because of quick release. Now, do they have any of those weapons that the Rams have? Obviously not. <laughs> so, but I think that if you're talking about the scheme and the sort of the, again, I think an RPO angle would be interesting with Will Levis because of how quick the arm is. And because of the the passing concepts that McVay deploys with Cooper cup on sort of those option routes and some yeah. of that stuff. Like I, I think that Stafford offense is really interesting with Will Levis. I, I think that's a really interesting concept to bring here, but you also don't want to take away the traditional vertical routes that he's obviously going to be able to attack if they can find the right person to do that. If that's DeAndre Hopkins, great. If it's a draft pick who's got speed, great, whatever. But, you know, Traylon Burks has a miracle offseason, whatever. I'm just curious because they are very similar. There's a lot of these guys are very similar. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, what are the what are the main attributes of an offense that we think unlocks Will Levis the most? And it does seem like the quick passing game that is maybe an RPO based with some vertical stuff. And that kind of feels like the Stafford McVay offense, unless I'm, unless I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong on that. No, I mean, I, th I think, I think the Stafford McVay is a good thing. Um, I mean, obviously I guess you would look at the, 
the Joe Burrow offense probably would work well if you gave him all the tools, right? Like, that's the thing to me is like, I don't really have a quarrel with Brian Callahan, Ben Johnson, Bobby Sloak schemes. I, I think that Will Levis will Agreed. be fine in any of them. I think that if they're all smart guys who will tailor the offense around Will Levis, right? And and those are the top three, okay? So the top three offensive head coaches. That's that's where you're at. What's what's more important to me and what is best for Will Levis is what they do to find people that around him, the offensive line and the pass catchers, that work within the scheme that you are devising and tailoring to Will Levis. So, for example, when they devised around C.J. Stroud, all this timing and all this stuff, they found zone beaters. They found guys that can get to a certain spot and let and be open, and they also found a vertical threat in Tank Dell. And, and even Noah Brown is a vertical threat, and of course they have Nico Collins, but they, they revamped that entire offense to fit to find players that fit the C.J. Stroud version of the Shanahan offense. That, to me, is what is best for Will Levis. If you are going to come in, if you're Brian Callahan, and you come in and say, hey, I'm going to tailor this uh, Joe Burrow offense that you have seen around Will Levis, but I need this, 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 and this ran to make it work for Will Levis. That, to me, is the more important thing because I feel like he can do... He's smart enough, and he has the arm talent to do any of these offenses. Whatever offense you have, you pick in this year is the offense, the offensive philosophy that you have to build around for the next several years and keep and keep it keep flowing for his progression. It's not really about, I guess, it's not about the system for me as it is about how you tailor the system. Yes, and how yes. consistent you keep the system and how you build the personnel within the system. So, for example, I completely agree with you. For example, he's got a lot of experience, obviously, in the Shanahan system, right? 2021 at Kentucky, Liam Cohen, really impressive season. Wondell Robinson had over 100 catches, over 1,300 yards at Kentucky. That was, uh, you know, uh, again, Liam Cohen directly off McVay and Shanahan's tree over there. And again, I, Cohen is not necessarily out of the question to be a part of whatever future staff the Titans have. I don't think you do it just because he worked with them in college, but it's not out of the question. He could succeed right now for the 49ers in place of Brock Purdy. He could run that offense. But the reason he could run that offense, in my opinion, is because Debo Samuel and Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey. And so that offense, with all those weapons, requires accuracy and timing and some of the things that maybe aren't his. And it took many years to build strength. that offense up to what yes. it's like. And so and everybody it, has to be patient. It's not going to be right. It's not going to be fixed in year one. So draft picks trades free like they it took a long time to build that to your point and they had to get lucky with you know evaluating Debo which again is one of the I don't know he was a five-star recruit in his first game at South Carolina he was elite as a freshman I'm not sure why no one saw that coming but anyway that's a he neither here nor there he might but, like, football are there for it's at least uh, <laughs> when we Stoney probably loved him Stoney probably loved him too but if you if you try to run that system that they're running right now in San Francisco on this team with Will Levis I don't think he can do it because it's it's based on timing and accuracy and all this other stuff. Like I don't think it also is designed. It's a mastery of the offense from a pre-snap, pre-read standpoint. Like all that stuff is stuff he needs to work on right now. So that's that's the reason I ask is sort of what there's things that he can add. There's things that personnel around him will limit. 
And to your point, the answer is you want a coordinator that is that is going to tailor his offense while maintaining the core philosophies, tailor the specifics of the offense to the skill set of the quarterback. And I think the two things that you have that Will Levis is just better than most human beings at is down the field passing and a quick release. Those are two things that Will Levis has that very few other human beings have. So what's, what parts of the system then maximize those two things? Play action verticals. And I think, and I was talking to Herndon about this, the, the R, a little bit more RPO stuff where it's quick, quick release, quick this, quick that, over the middle, option route, zone beater. Maybe you, using, maybe you have a running back that catches passes now. <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. So I, that's, that's what I'm more interested in is like, all right, whatever coach they hire, head coach or otherwise, coordinator, I want them to be able to tell us, like, you know, without giving away state secrets, what is it that that about your system maximizes Will Levis's talent right now at his stage in his career? And I think that is that should dictate almost all decision making at that point. The, however, they answer that question in, a, in an interview is is how they should be making decisions. And if that's Brian Callahan, great. If it's you know weird energy Bob, I, sure, fine. It, it, you know whatever. I, I want them to answer that question about Will Levis better than anybody else. That's who I want to hire. <laughs> exactly. For, for, for I think it's going to be Brian Callahan, I, but that's not be just because he got a second interview. I've just thought that all along. He's he's he, it's to me. It is hard to it's everything ignore. you want. It's hard to ignore that he is not the top their top choice. Every single indicator says that he is currently there. He was the first to get a request. He's the first to get an interview. He's the first to get a second interview. I, I I don't know. We don't have to overcomplicate this in the NFL. It's not like college where everybody's bullshitting and lying and tricking each other. Like this is pretty straightforward stuff in the NFL. So um, I we'll, we shall see. Uh, all right, playoffs. NFL playoffs last weekend. And this weekend, I know Herndon wrote about this. I know Trajan wrote about this for uh, stackingtheinbox.com. Lessons from last weekend and maybe things you're looking forward to with this weekend. I think there's lots of lessons about how to build a roster uh, in the NFL when you look at who's in the playoffs last weekend and who's in the playoffs this weekend, whether it's Green Bay, whether it's Detroit. You know, you pick him. Uh, there, there's a lot of things to learn from, from a front office standpoint. But what did you what did you learn uh, that the Titans should be learning from the playoffs last weekend? Get younger. Like, I mean, I think that's the big thing. You you have to you have to trim the old guys. And and I and I get it because everybody's gonna be like, well, you know, what about leadership and blah, 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 blah in the locker room? And I saw Derrick Henry boohooing because all of his friends were gone in the locker room on well, he's on busting with the boys recently. Uh it my my thing is is that it's it may have to get a little bit it may look like it's getting a little bit worse at the beginning because let's look at green bay for example everybody was kind of like didn't really know what jordan love was right um they got really really young <laughs> you know they let devonte adams go they let aaron Rodgers go and then they go and buy all these they have the youngest offense in the nfl the the oldest person to catch a touchdown on their team is christian watson in the playoffs this past week, and he's 24. Uh, but it worked, and it works because Jordan Love made it about we, not me, uh, from everything that you've read. He spent a lot of time with these young pass catchers, where last year Aaron Rodgers said, uh, I'm not going to spend time with these pass catchers, and then I'm going to be mad that they don't know how I want things done. Um, so in my mind, you have to get younger, like, Chris Moore, Nick Wisberg-Akine, they're, they're not necessarily, well, Chris Moore's old, but I mean, Nick Wisberg-Akine's, you know, young, 
but you have to get rid of these guys. You have to get rid of the majority of the Vrabel guys. You keep Jeffrey Simmons. You keep Harold Landry. You keep Imani Hooker. Those are your oldest guys on the roster. By Danico Autry, and, and I and I hate to say it because I like Danico Autry. Um, he's really good. But I think that at the end of the day, you have to get younger on this team. And maybe it's more this, – this team looks more like the Detroit Lions when Dan Campbell first got there where they look way worse than the previous time. But then it all clicks in year two and in year three. And I think, to me, that's the way – and I know that rebuilds can happen fairly quickly – in the NFL and maybe it's just a, it, maybe it is a full one year rebuild and not a rebuild on the fly. I think you have to be, be okay with each of them. I think, I think to me, I'm most envious out of everybody in the playoffs. I am most envious of green Bay. So and that's just, that's, so to me, I think they did it right. They may have not picked all the same players I would have. Like I wasn't sure. really high on Christian Watson, wasn't high on Luke Musgrave, but I was high on Bo Melton, uh, Romeo Dobbs, uh, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks. I mean, I was high on all those guys. So and glad we got Luke Musgrave as well. So why, you know, to me, it's like that's how you got to build, and they all grow up together. Like I think that to me is the big thing. Is yes, you know, yes. so you grow up in lockstep. I so I'm I'm obviously more familiar with Green Bay than than the other teams, and so I'll I'll piggyback off what you're saying because I think there's a couple of small things that make a lot of sense around this, and. And this may end up leading to a conversation about trading DeAndre Hopkins this offseason. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see. Because, number one, part of the way the Packers were able to do that was trading Devontae Adams and getting a lot of capital in the in the trade. That, that was a big part of that. Um, same thing with the Lions. The Lions did the same thing. Hit on a lot of draft picks in the last three classes, built the, the core foundation of their roster by giving getting a lot in return for Matthew Stafford. There's nothing like that on this team right now. In addition, Green Bay on defense, you still have Preston Smith, Devondre Campbell, Darnell Savage, some older players like like a Dineko Autry that I think you can kind of lean on on defense. But what do we just get done talking about? Will Levis and the offense. So one of the things that I that I have noticed watching the pack every play of the Packers this year and last year is that Aaron Rodgers was such a strong personality and Devontae Adams was so good that it was hard to develop pieces around them in a, like you said, growing up together kind of way. And so what they did when they got rid of both of them and put Jordan Love in there was it allowed Jordan Love to authentically read the play and go to the route that was open. But it's allowing Matt LaFleur to figure out which pieces can be trusted the most. So for example, against Dallas, they ran Romeo Dobbs on basically the same route four or five times. So while he is, they like Dontavious Wicks and they like Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed, by the way, needs to catch the football better. Like he drops way too many of everything, punts, catches, whatever. But he's got a lot of ability. Christian Watson needs to stay healthy. Like Luke, Luke Mustrade needs to stay healthy. But what it's allowed Jordan Love to do is ignore ego, ignore the need to force feed the way Levis force fed DeAndre Hopkins, right? Like, so I don't know if this means they need to get rid of DeAndre Hopkins or not. Certainly, that's not going to help them win. But right now, that was clearly Levis's security blanket. That's clearly the thing he trusted the most on any given play and was looking at him first. And if I'm a young quarterback and I've got Devontae Adams and I'm Jordan Love, I'm probably looking at Devontae Adams all the time. Devontae Adams probably coming back to the huddle saying, bro, I was open all the time. He's the one on the sideline trying to coach you up. We saw DeAndre Hopkins do that with Will Levis. 
and it was bad at the beginning of the season for the Packers. The first five or six, seven games, it was not, it was not pretty. It just I would, clicked. And it start it, it start it starts. Now they were bad against the Bucks and the Giants just a few weeks ago. And they've but that was more of a defensive problem than anything else. It's it's about the quarterback allowing the system to give you all options that, that you can use you can use any read on the play. And know that's that what Slowick has done well with CJ Stroud, not to interrupt exactly. you, just but just exactly. but that is what Slowick has done with CJ Stroud is that CJ Stroud reads all the progressions, everything is available to him because of how it is orchestrated. Like the Matt LaFleur opening drive against the Dallas Cowboys was some of the most beautiful things, one of the most beautiful drives I've ever seen, and how it was called, how it was executed. The throws that Jordan Love made, um, touchdown throws and stuff like that were like just wow. That was him throws. And props to them for props to Matt LaFleur and uh Brian Gutenkus, Gutenkus, whatever his last name is, um, for not giving up on Jordan Love and for Guten doubling Kust. down on their Jordan, Jordan Love investment. Because that's what you need. You need Rand Carthon and whoever they hire to be like Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutenkus, Gutenkus, <laughs> fuck, Coochie Gus. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Stonies. So Brian Coochie Gus, you need him to, uh, you need them to be like that <laughs> now. Like their version, what they are now, yeah. that's what you need Rand Carthon, whoever they hire to be. Or Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. You need to emulate those two teams. Uh, Penesul for the Detroit Lions to go all the way. By the way, Penesul in the first round, Christian Watson in the second round, Luke Musgrave in the late second round. Now, again, they don't have the capital that the Packers and the Lions did when they made those trades, but I do think roster building number one and building around a young quarterback is absolutely what you should be learning when you look around. I think you can look at Sean McDermott in Buffalo and see how he has evolved on the offensive side of the ball as a defensive coach. I think that, as you've already pointed out on the show, I think that's an example of where you can learn. I'm not sure what you learn about Kansas City other than like Mahomes is great. Now, I will say maybe you learn that 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 they have shifted their focus to the defensive side of the ball uh, over the last course of the last couple of years, knowing that all the investment on offense is going into one guy. Um, I, I don't I, you know, the Eagles have used plenty of to learn from how the Eagles have, have built their offense. Uh, I think there's lots of stuff out there yes, that don't build it like they're. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So, uh, again, I, I think. Getting young, uh, draft a lot of options for Will Levis, whether that's, I mean, if you go tackle at seven and you go receiver, receiver, that that is not the wrong way to do it. It may seem odd, but it's not the wrong way to do it because then you got Chigan Wiley. The problem is they don't have the skills. draft capitals that Green Bay, the draft capital the Green right. Bay Packers have right. had. They have to make some hard decisions. They could have had some draft capital if the head coach, you know, would let them. <laughs> it's all Vrabel's fault. I love yeah, you. You've, you've become so. Well, when people come out, when people report that he's the reason why we didn't blow it, the Titans didn't blow it up, and the reason why Ryan Tannehill, and Derek Henry stuck around. Who else should I blame? No, that's that's fair. That's fair. I, I, it, look, Besides, maybe Amy Adams Strunk. I don't. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't. It's the autopsy on the on the Mike Vrabel era is going to be long and and treacherous. <laughs> By the way, him going to the Chargers would just be so funny. Talk about a guy with bad injury luck going to a team with bad injury luck. Uh, oh, yeah, that's gonna be yeah, that's gonna yeah. be something. All right, and so Sean in, 
and so we got uh, Packers at Niners, right? You got um, the, the Chiefs and the Bills and the and the Ravens and the. You got lots of really great franchises to study this weekend um, in on both sides. Uh, the three, Sloak versus McDonald is going to be very interesting. Uh, very interesting for Titans fans for sure. And then of course you got three NFC former NFC North teams. Uh, all division rivals when Tampa Bay, Green Bay, and Detroit all used to be together. And the Tampa Bay and Detroit are in a playoff game is just beyond comprehension <laughs> to me. Uh, just as a as a NFC guy growing up most of his life. So otherwise, uh, I'm not sure, you, you know, it, I'm, I don't know who Titans fans are rooting for. Probably not Baltimore, I assume. But I don't know who, who else they'd be Detroit. rooting for. So I think Detroit's fun to watch. And I'm a Detroit versus Pack- everybody. I say that as a Packers fan. I find Detroit to be. I'd imagine the college and pro champions coming from the state of Michigan. That would be, yeah, be freaking, crazy. freaking wild. So uh, enjoy the weekend. Uh, stay warm out there. Stay safe. Seekers Beverages, Kingston Group. Make sure you use both those local companies. Support good local business. Uh, make sure you check out stackintheinbox.com as well. And football and other F words. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you if you made it this far in the show, please give us a subscription over there at 440 Sports on the YouTube page. If you're watching or listening somewhere else, we appreciate it. Got a lot of interesting stuff coming for you. Titans fans and SEC fans uh, on the YouTube page uh, coming literally like tomorrow. So come check that out. And we do appreciate you guys. For Zach, I am Braden. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you on Monday.